<laughs> thanks, thanks to you all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is okay. This is uh, these are my friends, um, uh, Chad and Wes, Betty. They're um, um, both people I know through summer camp, but know them through a, a lot of other ways. At this point, we've known each other for years and years. And Wes sort of organized and put together this. Yep. <laughs> uh, put together hi, this. Hi, Wes. Hello. Hello, uh, Betty. Put together a podcast that's in. That's pretty broad, you know. It's uh, Southern culture and politics. That uh, <laughs> that's pretty broad. So, and then you guys, this is Betty, who uh, I met actually. I guess I first met you at a meeting of uh, Knoxville media people. Yeah, yeah, I I remember that at the um, original Frizo. Yep, and I think we sort of bonded over our. Um, mutual dislike of my dad. That's probably <laughs> <really> wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that today. We walked off. I, I, I thought you were a really nice guy, and I couldn't figure out how you were Jim Dykes. <laughs> and I've been trying to figure that out for a while. I just felt that I had. I mean, there was there was all this idolatry going on among the guys there. And, you know, they all had a guy thing for Jim. And <laughs> I I don't know. I just felt compelled to confess that I didn't much like Jim. <laughs> and he did not like me either. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, he's my dad. So it was like a um, uh, complicated relationship. But yeah. I think if I had worked with him in the newsroom, we probably wouldn't have gotten along. Um, so you have the opposite feeling about my dad. I think if I worked with him, I'd like him a lot. But being his son, so kind of rough. <laughs> well, Jim was, I mean, these guys, if you're not from around here, you have no idea how they worshipped him. And that I, it, that's not an exaggeration. Well, he's kind of a big character. Yeah. And, and many, literally and metaphorically. Yeah. And he, um, you know, and he had, there were many good things about it. He and I just, uh, we were, our personalities did not mesh very well. He wasn't great in general with women, um, uh, professionally, uh, I think. If they, anybody who didn't want to be flirted with or uh, patronized that had a little, had a little trouble sometimes. Um, and also, you know. He was sometimes funny and always fairly smart and articulate. And so uh, I think that led a lot of people to forgive him for a lot more than some of us are uh, prone to forgive. Big, big personality. Yep. So um, Betty, like, um, I don't have exact details on uh, your career. I just know that you (laughs) and I, when we hang out, you tell me great stories, and I know you've covered Tennessee politics for a long time, that you've been at a lot of different uh, uh, papers in Tennessee. My downward spiral. Um, <laughs> I, I came along, I'm a dinosaur, I came along just in time to catch the last 30 years of new, print newspapers, I think. And um, now I'm I'm doing a little bit of online stuff. I'm I'm kind of semi-retired, uh, but I, I worked at um, I worked in Sevier County at the Mountain Press was kind of my first job, and then I worked at the Knoxville Journal until it folded, and I covered state government there. I think we're having a little trouble with your mic. Yeah, uh, are, are you using your um, earbuds? I can't hear. Let me see. They seem to, they they have turned off. Oh, there. There, it came back. Yeah, yeah um, um, it's it sounds better, or just now sounded better. I'm not sure what exactly yeah. was going on to make it sound better. They're not blinking. 
Um, well, I think probably it's using your computer mic, so just sort of lean into the mic, probably. Yeah, when you're closer, it sounds fine. Okay, Now I can't hear. Yeah. Okay, how's this? That's perfect. Yeah. Better. Okay. All right, well, one of the things that... Um, 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 I thought I'd, I'd see if I could um, get you to sort of um, theorize for us a little bit. I'm curious about what your take on, like, when is the last time that Tennessee had a Democrat for a, a governor? It's not been all that long historically, um, and yet it seems like we're in a place where it can't happen again. The last Democratic governor was Phil Bredesen. And uh, how does how does a Democrat get elected? I mean, aside from appealing to Memphis. Well, uh, they don't. The answer is they don't get elected anymore. Um, I, I, you know, Southern. There used to be a lot of blue dog Democrats in Tennessee, and um, I'd say that. Jim Cooper, if you're familiar with him, is maybe like the last of that breed. And they they became Republicans is what happened. And they're just I don't I don't know how Democrats will ever claw their way back in Tennessee. They may never. Well, I think um, um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if there could be some sort of blue-collar appeal again to Democrats. It seems like in a lot of ways they've given up on some of that. I mean, uh, certainly the people who Democrats do their best to represent include some blue-collar people, but uh, somehow white blue-collar guys especially seem to think that they're in a totally different boat from other blue-collar uh, uh, people, blue-collar women, and minorities, yeah. Well, the Southern Democratic Party has become there. How do I want to say this? There aren't many white Southern Democrats left, period. There just aren't. Um, in Tennessee, and I suspect many states, the cities are blue dots surrounded yeah. by a, a sea of red. Um, I, I Knoxville, Knoxville's mayor is uh, elected bipartisanly, um, but they've been Democrats since well since Bill Haslam, the billionaire, and I'd say until another billionaire Republican who who uh, probably is heterosexual would help. We we had a, <laughs> a moderate Republican. Um, moderately wealthy gay guy tried to run this past year. It didn't work out that well for him. And then the poor guy ran for state representative in the Republican primary and barely eked out a win, but was really bashed by his party. For They didn't say it was because he was gay, but I think that was what it was. So um, things are, things are kind of snarled up. Well, in uh, speaking of the blue circle or the the red circle with the blue dot in the middle, uh, the mayor of Knoxville tends to be uh, a Democrat these days and a fairly progressive Democrat these days. Yeah, uh, I know. I know Madeline was. I, I'm not sure about. I haven't been around so much during the the new administration. Yeah, I think but then he may be yeah. more so. But then Knox County. Um, has Kane, uh, the, the professional wrestler, Kane. Yeah, Kane. There you go. Yeah, the big the big fight now is um, mask wearing. Although Kane is sort of giving up, giving his anti mask position up. I, Which I is think, odd for a professional wrestler to have an anti mask position. 
Yeah, it is, especially since he wore a mask in his whole yeah. career. But I, I think now that the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has given in to the pro-mask side. I, I, um, but anyway, to mask or not to mask is the big uh, argument. But I, I suspect that's going to be superseded by the post office. Um, Man, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about the, the blue dot and a red sea. I mean, I think there's one thing that might uh, cross across rural, suburban, and, and urban divide in America is like the, the post office, because if anywhere depends on the per- post office in America is rural, rural areas. You would think so. Uh, they're, they're figuring out ways to blame it on Obama, of course. Well, of course. <laughs> Why not? Uh, a full disclosure, Wes's mom was a, a letter carrier. Um, uh, and retired as a postmaster. And, yep. and and his stepfather. Yep. Worked on the machines that are being removed, I believe. Yeah. Well, my, my, my granddaddy, Bean, was a, he was a letter carrier for 30 years. So I, I have his hat somewhere, um, although the moths got to it. Those things, I didn't realize those things are wool. Um, but he uh, it, it, he got his job just at the beginning of the depression, and I think I think he had a little bit of political pull to do it, and it was a great job. Got my family through the depression. Yeah, and it's been that for a lot of families, right? It gets uh, a lot of veterans work there. A lot mm-hmm. of African-Americans work at the post office. For us, it was my dad's uh, fisherman. There was no, there's not much stability in fishing, and there's definitely not any um, insurance. So, like, uh, he had his job doing fishing, but my mom worked at the post office, which meant there was monthly stable income and, and insurance for all of us, which is yeah. a huge deal for most working-class Americans. It, it's, it's really odd the the sort of war on the post office that or the postal service i'm not sure when they officially changed the title um but there has been that for republicans have really been out to get the postal service mm-hmm. for some time and trump is he's dialed it up Well, yeah, well, and part of it, too, is that, you know, it's the same reason they go after teachers is because the teachers union and the postal union are the two strong unions that are left, aside from the baseball union. Which is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's I'm sure that has something to do with it. And it, it seems that any anything that benefits um, anything that benefits poor people is not that popular with them. Right. Right. And, you know, people keep making comparisons to, which is a true observation that the post office isn't a business and isn't designed to make money. And they'll make that comparison to the military, which is true. I think a valid comparison, but a lot of people forget how many people make money off of the military, defense contractors and stuff. So the military is a really profitable racket for a lot of people in a way that the post office isn't a racket. It's just a way for working class well, people to have a yeah. job. And, and the same thing with public schools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when they began to look at schools as a as a profit center, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess that's the that's the goal was to privatize these things. And I'm sure the yeah. FedEx guy in Memphis, I forget his name, but he's a huge Trump uh, um, contributor. Right. Well, they'd love to like take all that. Yeah. But there is one, I mean, we're, we're joking about blaming Obama, but there is one place that Democrats really did fail on this, which was when this whole, this whole thing is tied to the post office reform act, which was pushed through the lame duck session of Republican Congress and they shoved it through. And then when Congress came back, the Democrats had that brief period where they controlled the white house, the Senate and the house and they did nothing, yeah, nothing I, about the post I, office. I've been reading, I think it was 2006. That yeah, Re- it was back a while ago. Republicans yeah. did it. And then um, I don't know why Obama's administration did not attempt to turn some of that around. I, I, I just, think, I, I yeah. don't know. 
I think it just wasn't a priority. And there also is in the Democratic Party a constituency who would like to privatize the post office, who think mm-hmm. that public goods also they don't value very much. And so uh, there is that current. And I think it's just a fight they didn't want to pick at the time. Um, I think it would have been a good fight to pick at the time. But yeah. they other well, priorities. they were they were so consumed with health care reform. Yeah. Um, yeah, it took up a lot of space. But maybe maybe the, and that turned out to be much more difficult than they imagined even mm-hmm. so I, I guess you're right pick your poison um, are they taking um, the letter boxes off the street there in uh, uh, there in Knoxville yeah today I saw a or last night a former county commissioner from out in the Carnes area with which is deep northwest Knox County toward Oak Ridge, he posted a picture of the Carnes post office and there is no letterbox out front. Oh wow. There's wow. just a, a rusty a rusty spot on the sidewalk where it used to be. Huh. And that's just in the past few days. Yeah, I've seen pictures on Facebook and in the news of uh, trucks with that are just full of letterboxes on the on the yeah, uh, back. I saw that too. And and my um, a guy that I buy plants from, he raises mostly hostas in Union County, and he reports that he's taking a big pallet of plants to mail tomorrow. Um, to the main post office, and he's going to check it out. But uh, apparently he was over there snooping around today, and he saw it, it, he saw things, I think, sorting machines um, loaded up on a flatbed. So he, he was going to go over there first thing in the morning and, and snoop. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing. Of course, they they said just in the last few hours that they're not gonna that that they take it all back. They're not gonna do that before the election. But they've already done so much of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So one question I might ask you as a journalist: one thing that's been frustrating to me to see is like the headlines kind of write this like it's a natural phenomenon, like a. Uh, Post always announces it will struggle to meet election needs and yeah. things like that. Like they all, all, almost all the headlines are written as if this just occurred, as if it's not part of something. Even though President Trump has come out and said directly why he's doing it, he's like, "I'm yeah. not going to give money to the post office because if people vote by mail, I'll lose." Right? Essentially, just said it. Yeah. But then the headlines are still um, uh, post office says that it can't can't do it. Uh, yeah, which is a little frustrating. You're right. He is a. He is a man with uh, no unspoken thoughts. Right. So, <laughs> so what 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 do you think the pressures are there for? I know journalists. I know lots of journalists don't get to write their own headlines. So, what do you think that the pressure is, or why did why do the headlines keep taking this very neutral? Um, I don't on? know, and I'm I'm not doing. Um, I'm doing very very local kind of right. stuff now. But I, I imagine it's the same as it used to be. You know, uh, reporters tend to be left-leaning. It, it's true. I, and their bosses are not and tend to be more conservative and more uh, worried about offending um, powerful people. So it, there's always a tug-of-war there. When you were working for bigger... Um, Corporate uh, things like G- Gannett, I think maybe, or Scripps Howard. I think you might have worked for one or both of those. Uh, did you? Was it your experience that they sort of chose editors who uh, had closer politics to their own, or was that not a consideration as far well, as you could tell? I, I, that was kind of odd. My experience wasn't that great. Uh, Gannett was. Um, the journal, Gannett owned the journal and had just sold it when I went to work there. And they had the same editor, Ron McMahon, as Gannett had had. And, um, but I think that I, the Tennessean at that time was um, um, John Siegenthaler was still there. 
And he was very liberal, you know, he was a friend of John F. Kennedy's and, and um, he was kind of the Bill Bradley of the South. And so even though Ron was a Republican, he had been Howard Baker's press um, uh, secretary. He was not that conservative except for his personal interests. Um, he was not a real right-wing Republican. So yeah, I, it used to be that that wasn't necessarily part of being a Republican. No, the Knoxville Journal had an interesting history. Um, it, it, it dated back, they, they traced the history back to Parson Brownlow during the Civil War. And he was a famous ornery unionist here in East Tennessee and just gave the Confederacy hell. And they tried to arrest him and he took off to um, Sevier County and hid in the mountains for a while. And then they, they exiled him. They sort of gave him the choice of going to prison and being hanged or, or leaving. So he left. And um, so the journal was always a Republican paper going back to its roots as a, you know with the Lincoln Republicans but it became very conservative after a while and there was a guy named Guy L Smith who was a Princeton man you know kind of Knoxville nobility and he was also at one time he was the chairman of the Republican National Committee and the editor of the Knoxville Journal, and he was deeply conservative and right wing. So, when was this? Um, he was still there during the sixties. My my husband, I ran off and got married as a teenager, and my husband was studying journalism at UT in the sixties, and he um was there then. Uh, uh he. Part of Joe's job was to drive Mr. Smith home every night. Mr. Smith didn't drive, so Joe would drive him home to Sequoia Hills every night and listen to his stories. But he was uh, he he ruled with an iron fist and pretty pretty much ruled Knoxville politics. And he made friends with Kaz Walker, who was the old populist demagogue. So they had. They had a little dynasty thing going on. Well, you did um, uh, some research. You were thinking, were you thinking about writing a book about Kaz? I'm trying to think if that was, uh, um, I, kn- I know you interviewed him and that you uh, uh, met him a few times. Yeah, I was supposed to write a book on him, but I turned out, um, turned out that I hated him. And, <laughs> and that, that was not, you know, these these guys want to read nostalgia. They want to read about how he kicked the Everly Brothers off his show for, for wiggling too much and singing too much rock and roll and, and how he got Dolly started. He had her climb a greasy pole in Sevierville. Um, and they want to hear that kind of corn pony stuff. And, and I found him... Um, I kind of liked him personally. He was too old. He was hitting 90 when I got to know him. I think he died at 90. I can't even remember. But I I knew him for several years. But his friends were just awful. And uh, I I, I did not. I I didn't think there was anything I could honestly write that, that people would want to buy. So I just kind of gave up, but but I did help UT. Um, I, I wrote a large part of the introductions to a book that they put together on Kaz Welker. It was mostly just a compiled um, bunch of stories about Kaz. Okay. Uh, for people who aren't from Knoxville. Um, uh, can you give a like just sort of a rundown of who he is and, or who he was and why he was kind of important to um, um, he was he was kind of I I used to back when I was writing about him I would 
equate him to Huey Long, <laughs> um, except Huey Long without the massive building program because Kaz was in a gunner. He was he was against most anything. He was against fluoridated water. Um, he was against building a. He was against combining city and county government. He was against building a convention center. I mean, he was, you, you name it, <laughs> what most folks thought of as progress, Kaz was always against it. But he would, um, you know, he took care of people. He was an old-time political boss. If your house burned down, uh, he would, he, oh, he, he also dominated media. He had radio shows and had country music and had really um, popular musicians. Uh, several of them went on to become fairly famous. I went to I went to his 90th birthday party years ago, and um, there were people from all over the country who came. and And uh, Chet Atkins just showed up and took his place on the stage. I mean, really, really famous people and. And he really did give Dolly her start, and she is very nostalgic about him. And and he could be very personally sweet, but he was just he was a terrible demagogue. He really was, and very racist. He used to have a um, farm that was close to where we lived out on Roddy Branch. He was on Caney Branch, which was the next road up. They're both named for. Uh, streams for people who don't know that a branch is a creek but um uh and he had tenants who stayed up there who i went to school with we rode the bus together and went up and turned around at the little house that was up there but i think he kept that property mostly to go coon hunting on he had uh, dogs and um uh, i think he was old enough to be pretty much past it at that point but once in a while, there would be a, a coon hunt over there, and uh, um, that's a southern tradition we haven't really talked about. We've talked about guns and maybe even a little bit about hunting, but nighttime hunting um, for raccoons, and um, I guess you can hunt for possums. Most people are kind of disappointed when they catch one, though. You just hunt um, them when they get in your yard. And, I don't think and, they have to go out. Foxes. <laughs> They were, they, yeah, fox hunting. And it, it wasn't the, you know, wasn't the uh, uh, hoity-toity kind of horse horseback fox hunting. It was letting your dogs run and you sit around the fire and, and listen to the dogs howl. I never really, I never really understood the purpose of that. I think a lot of it was about getting out of the house so you could uh, drink whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think so. I, I, well, I think most hunting is about getting out of the house, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, did you ever live up, up at Bean Station? I know that you've got family there that you're uh, a Bean Station bean, but did you ever live up there? No, no, I'm strictly a Knox County bean. Um, okay. And I, I'm of the uh, Puerto Rican branch of the beans. So that that made me a little different. Well, Chad's from up at Taswell, yeah. which is not so far from Bean oh, Station. Yeah. So you you never made it over Clinch Mountain. Um. Well, I I've, I I have driven around and visited up there, but um, not much. No, I I guess Washburn and and um. Rutledge Bean Station. Yeah, I've I've been there. I, I've covered, <laughs> I've covered a little bit of a little bit of um, politics up that way. Didn't much like it. So you might might not have uh, you. Did you ever run across like a Roger Ball like running for any any offices up there? I don't recall that name. But I, I, I wasn't there a whole lot. Um, is that a relative of yours? That is a that's my uncle. Uh, oh. yeah, he ran he ran against Mike Williams for a state representative. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, a friend of uh, Danny Wallace uh, Union, uh, I guess, uh-huh. back when Danny, I don't know. I don't know what. How... I believe Danny was uh, that rare breed of Union County Democrat, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, he was uh, head of the, kind of that, that whole like, Claiborne County, Union County, Democratic sort of party for a while. Yeah, I don't, I know, he, I know last I heard of him, he was writing articles in the Hall Shopper about, he was writing movie reviews uh, in the Hall Shopper was the last oh. I heard of Danny Wallace, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and now I, I write a lot of stuff for the woman who was the publisher of that. I worked for them, too. And she now has an online publication called Knox 10 Today. And that's, okay. that's who I write for now. Um, but there, that area seems to be under the thrall of a guy named Gary Sexton now. Does that ring a bell with you? I've heard that name. My my sister uh, lived in like halls for a little while, like uh, around 2000. Oh, well, now Sexton is from Bean Station. Okay. I'm still up there. He is a jackleg preacher um, who got himself elected to the state legislature uh, by taking a lot of money from the um, Koch brothers, DeVos, oh. uh, Gates, the school privatizer people. Yeah. And he, he beat this really popular um, longtime legislature, an old coach, Dennis Roach, Coach Roach. Yeah, Coach Roach. I know, yeah, Coach Roach. I, I know Coach Roach. Yeah, uh, pretty nice guy. And compared to, compared to Sexton, he's an utter... I mean, he's a, he's a damn communist, um, but <laughs> Jerry Sexton, his first big bill in the legislature was to make the Bible Tennessee's state book. <laughs> oh, and of course, it passed the legislature, and I think that the then governor Bill Haslam may have vetoed it on the advice of his attorney general, who said it was absolutely unconstitutional. Um, but Jerry, he has a mattress factory or something, but he's also a preacher. He's got his preaching to fall back on, as we used to say. That sounds about right. That tracks. That tracks for him. Yeah. <laughs> I felt very badly for Coach Roach because all of a sudden, he was deluged by about a half million dollars worth of media advertising, and they don't have any TV stations. You know, they they get Knoxville TV and probably radio too. Yeah, there's so, nothing. Uh, yeah, like I can't think of anything. You know, there's like WNTT, the AM radio station, and. Harrogate Public Access. <laughs> yeah, Harrogate <laughs> Public Access. So I'll, I'll, well, all of a sudden, there are these um, there are these awful, mean, terrible ads about Coach. Ro- they didn't call him Coach Roach, but you know Dennis Roach is. Uh, I think he was in league with the teachers, so we don't like teachers around here. Yeah. Well, um, PBS used to be broadcast out of um, uh, Sneedville. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I was a kid, I couldn't get the signal for PBS because it was coming all the way down from Sneedville. But then I think they built another tower in Knoxville. Yeah, I, I remember that, too. I don't, I don't know what that was about, but I, I don't think that they I don't think it meant that there was any coverage. up there. No, no, no. I mean, I think it was probably some WPA thing or something, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like. A government program to uh, put some sort of um, uh, space age technology up in the hills. I mean, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I remember I, I tell this story a little bit, and I at the time it didn't seem weird, but a lot of people came into the school that I went to in Rockford to teach us folk songs and stuff, and they were almost always from up north. And it was only as an adult that I sort of put that in context and realized that that was part of uh, the Save Appalachia movement that was very popular in the 60s. 
Oh, L, probably LBJ's leftover from LBJ's stuff. Well, not even leftover. I was in school when LBJ was oh. president. I mean, uh, well, I don't know. I Actually, I was just starting school then. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, leftover from that. Yeah, he left in 68. But he, yeah, he made a trip to Knoxville and um, went over into the Morningside area on the east side that has since been urban renewaled out of existence and sat with a family on their front porch and everybody marveled at how poor they were and we were going to, you know, build them these nice new housing developments and move them out of their squalor. I think the first political thing I remember, my dad covered, he started out and he covered um, outdoor stuff and uh, um, uh, some TVA stuff uh, to the degree that it was connected with the outdoors and all. But uh, the first big political event I remember in East Tennessee was when Billy Graham brought Richard Nixon in as his special guest speaker and things went nuts even in even at the university of tennessee there were enough people there who were pissed off about at least the war if nothing else to where things went crazy yeah i've I've since read that that was um that was nixon's uh, he was trying to get himself um he was trying to make it look as though he was welcome on college campuses. And so he picked the most conservative um, college campus that he could find. And it probably was. And, and Billy Graham was having a, 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 a revival there and in the football stadium, which that is really weird. I was out of town then. I, I'd run off and, gotten married and was living in Charlotte for a while, but and, and hated I miss that. That's one of the big disappointments of my life, both the marriage and not being here for the Billy Graham thing. And um it it yeah, it didn't didn't turn out that well. And there were a couple two or three professors were arrested, um a bunch of students. A lot of yeah, I remember a a picture of uh, uh, some young people riding the the bull uh, in McClung oh, Plaza. There, there's a statue of Europa and the bull, and uh, it was draped with uh, hippies uh, while Nixon was was trying to get everybody's attention. Yeah, yeah, you may have, uh, you may or may not have noticed on my Facebook page, or maybe you know him anyway. Carol Bible was one of the ringleaders of that, and he's still around, and he's he lives in Atlanta now, but he he um, checks in on my Facebook page occasionally. But yeah, that that's one of the big regrets of my life that I I um, missed the Billy Graham thing because I was off getting married. What do you think your favorite thing that you covered uh, um, uh, so far uh, that you've covered in your journalistic career is? Ever? Um, yeah. It's hard to hard to pick one, but one of my most favorite things had to do with the pollution of the um, Pigeon River. And um, that was a huge uh fight. There was a paper mill in North Carolina up in the mountains just across the border. And I remember that. Yeah, in Canton, North Carolina. It was a champion paper company. And they had a new EPA contract coming up. And there was a grassroots uh, group in Cock County. And um, Cock County was at the time I think still about the no, most notorious county in Tennessee and for moonshiners and, you know, whores and all kinds of, uh, all kinds Bad of livers. Yeah. Every kind of vice <laughs> you can think of um, yeah, murders and massacres and all kinds of stuff. And in, anyway, there was this group of citizens and they started something called the dead pigeon river council. And uh, their logo was a cartoon 
pigeon um, dead laying on its back with its feet up and its eyes crossed out. I just thought it was brilliant and they had no money, but somehow they managed to bring that big corporation to its knees. And um, the end result is a longer story than you want to hear, but they were able to talk the Tennessee governor, Ned McWhorter, into denying um, the EPA, the renewal of the EPA contract, which changed everything for that paper mill. They, they said they'd go out of business if they couldn't get their um, um, permit renewed, and, and they didn't go out of business, but they did clean up, and today there are the river looks clean anyway. I don't know if it really is, but but there are rafting businesses on it, and people aren't dying of um, liver cancer all up and down the river anymore. So it was that lasted a couple of years, and I just had a big time, made a lot of friends up there, and really had you know I just I just love a good hell raising redneck. <laughs> it it had a had a great time. Well, I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> I had cousins in Charlotte, and we'd drive over the mountain. And when we came through Canton, you could smell the river. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the pulp mill there. Well, one of the, and, uh, yeah. one of the most brilliant, and now, you would think that the Tennessee governor denying the permit would have been a slam dunk, but it wasn't. Uh, McWhorter was very, very pro-business. He, he even liked strip mines. and I mean, he was not environmentally inclined at all. But one of his assistants, a guy named Billy Stair, who now lives in Knoxville, um, arranged a rafting trip for him. And I, I, I got to go along with a photographer from the journal, Jack Rose, and they just, it was top secret. They told us the night before. They didn't take any TV. They just took two um, newspaper reporters, me and a guy from the Sentinel, and two photographers. And we rode the, we rode the water down from Canton um, to Hartford, Tennessee, right across the state line in Cock County. And, but we drove up past the mill and um, got guides for Ned and showed him how clean the water was above the, the mill and how filthy and, and stinky it was uh, from the mill on down. And I remember McWhorter saying he, he got out. He was a big, big guy, had a big old pumpkin head. They couldn't, they couldn't find a helmet. <laughs> and... And he, um, he gets, he always wore cowboy. He, he was, think Hoss Cartwright. That, he looked a lot like him. He gets out of that raft and he's standing there and he's chewing tobacco and he lets loose a long brown um, stew of tobacco juice into the river. And he says, well, so they keep it clean up there for them and then they make it filthy and they turn it loose on us and it was a great quote and I could tell then that he had I mean that turned him around also the champion paper company um, um, cops their rent-a-cops tried to arrest him his uh, his assistant put him in a canoe to, to ride the canoe through the part of the river that went through the paper company and they didn't allow that and they didn't know who he was. So it was just a great adventure. And, and that was probably my single most fun day as a reporter. Yeah. The, um, uh, I guess he had to, it, he had to do what he could through EPA because state regulation in North Carolina, I think it's still really lax on environmental stuff, even compared to Tennessee. Well, apparently uh, which, their free-flowing stream stuff was pretty good, but um, now they had, you know, they had all kinds of um, hog hog waste lagoons and stuff. Yeah, 
other parts of the state, but but that river was really clean up up above Canton. It, it was a tourist attraction, and then they they totally ruined it. When I started covering the story, there was still an elderly man who was still alive who remembered the day the river turned black, um, the day the mill opened and and um, started. Uh, uh, spewing spewing black effluent out into the river and the whole thing was very dramatic and it, it had it all and we um, we won some national awards for it that was my favorite thing it was you don't run across too many for me it was just such a feel-good thing it was a David and Goliath and Goliath just got his butt kicked um, <laughs> Al Al Gore Al Gore did not um, acquit himself well in that though. Oh no, no, he was running for president then. That was eighty eight, and mm-hmm. he showed up in Canton with the congressman from that area. His name was Jamie. Something I've forgotten his name. He'd been there forever. And he was in he was in the back of the limousine with the congressman, and he backed off. He did not he didn't attend those meetings. He did not um, advocate for the people of Cock County, uh, and and all of I mean all of these jerks from North Carolina did. They had their governor there. They had Jesse Helms. You know they had the whole bunch of the whole whole array of their creepy politicians and Al Gore, the environmental champion, was just nowhere to be found. I was very disappointed. Well, it's, it's, that's the sort of story that um, I think um, they make movies out of. You know? Yeah, I, I always thought that that would have made a great movie, the whole thing. They were just wonderful characters in there. Well, I mean, uh, among the, yeah. The mill people, um, the, the um, uh, uh, employees, well, they had worker bees who were totally controlled by their bosses. They sent 3,000 of them to Knoxville to an EPA meeting and open, they had open meetings in in Knoxville, in Asheville, and in Newport. And Gore didn't show up for any of them. And all the North Carolina um, um, bigwigs attended. So it was it, 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 it was really galling. And, and I was never that thrilled about Gore after that. It might have been before your time, but were you around when, um, as a reporter, when uh, they built the the dam at the Little T, all the snail darter stuff and all that? No, I was still, I, I was still in, I was in law school then, as a matter of fact, um, and wasn't working. But one of the one of the professors there was real involved in. Um, the snail darter lawsuits and i i i went i visited there with some architecture uh, or some anthropology students i guess archaeology students who were digging for relics before the water came up yeah that was a that was a pretty pretty bad thing it didn't have as happy an ending as the little team did no, I remember going down there and seeing the uh, the burial ground. So uh, I went with Papa uh, when he was covering the stories. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'd get to kind of ride along. Uh, and that one made a, I was just sort of astounded that I went and there were all these holes, you know, the way that an archaeological dig gets, they were all kind of staked out and there were the holes and, uh, uh you could see. I have the uh, the memory that I saw where stuff had been taken out and that there was still stuff in the holes, but that could have been something I filled in. You know how memory is. But um, the fact that that wasn't enough to stop the dam 
No, I, uh, I remember um, before that, in the early days of that controversy, um, Supreme Court Justice Douglas uh, came down and went fly fishing on the little tee to publicize the, it, its worth as a free-flowing river, but that didn't that didn't do the trick. At least he tried. Them. Yeah. Well, and for listeners who don't know what the that whole story is, I believe that the snail darter, which was a little fish that was found in the Little T, uh, which was the last free-flowing river in uh, uh, of any size in Tennessee because they'd all been dammed up by the TVA, um, that that was the first time that the environmental protection uh, laws uh, were used to stop uh, development. Uh, and it wasn't successful in that case, and I think it's had limited success in other cases. Uh, what they, I think what they ended up doing was taking the fish and putting it in a different river and saying, good enough. Uh, yeah. Or just deciding the damned old fish wasn't, wasn't valuable. <laughs> but it, it, that was another very dramatic story, and it had those, you know, the same stories that you hear about from the early days of TVA, the Norris Dam stories of of 90-year-old farm wives sitting in rocking chairs on their porches with shotguns across their laps saying, I ain't leaving, but ultimately, ultimately they have to leave. It, it's it's pretty sad, pretty sad story. Yeah, and it's interesting because like the TVA and all that's often thought of as one of the like progressive left uh, success stories of the last century, right? It was a tremendous success in a lot of ways. It was, but it also yeah. came at a really large cost to a lot of people in their yeah. Their I, I think I, flood control was um, a huge part of of its early of its original mission as well as power generating power so it it did i, I <clears throat> severe severeville used to flood terribly before tva and they did lots of work up there and channeled the they channeled the, the little pigeon river those mountain folks weren't real original in their um naming their rivers but <laughs> the pigeon the pigeon up at newport and then the little pigeon down in severe county oh I was, was it and those are distinct rivers are they tributaries of each other no no they're not the the little the pigeon river flows um into the uh, french broad so they don't they don't really okay although they end up in the same place down you know in the what used to be the tennessee river at knoxville yeah so we were all downstream from from all that crap <laughs> in so many ways we're we're all downstream yeah we yeah. are <laughs> oh i feel sorry for chattanooga <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they get all of it. Yeah, and then eventually, uh, eventually, us on the go Gulf Coast get it, get it all, get it all back. It takes a little longer. <laughs> oh, that's another thing about Wes. He's from Matt Gates's. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, woo! constituency I'm a Matt Gates voter. Uh, I'm a Matt Gates constituent. You know, our Knox County Republican Party was bringing him here as its keynote speaker. For their annual Lincoln Day dinner, and then the pandemic closed everything down. So we well, who represents Lincoln better, really? <laughs> yeah. Is, so we know. were we were spared that indignity. Now, I, well, we we weren't. <laughs> I, he he might have brought his um his adopted son Nestor. That that would have been. Would have been nice oh, to we'll meet. We'll worry about yes. Nestor, but I think Nestor is going off to college, as he said. He's taking his son Nestor, who's not actually a son to college. But I, you know, when I think of Abraham Lincoln, you know, country lawyer, frontier man, uh, champion amateur wrestler, um, 
like not 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 effective vocally public speaker, but a powerful speech writer, uh, one of the greatest intellects in American politics. I also think of Matt Gates, so I think it's a great <laughs> great every time, every time. Lincoln Lincoln was a poet at heart, and so was Matt Gates. I think I was know. was Abraham Lincoln not? Did he not get caught in like a DUI trap, like leaving Helen back too? Is that not? <laughs> he wasn't leaving Helen Beck. No, he was like Helen Beck's actually a good bar. Matt Gates was oh, the leaving swamp, the swamp. Yeah, the swamp. That's right. Excuse me. I'm the, sorry. The swamp, Apologies to Helen Beck. Uh, yeah. Well, Helen Beck, you know, actually has been yeah. on Esquire's list of ten best Man. bars in America. So yeah. thank you very much. It's Not the- Helen Beck too in Crestview. <laughs> I mean, if he got caught leaving there, I could understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was caught leaving the swamp. Yeah. What a guy. Can I ask like one last question real quick since we're running out of time that we've been asking to people? I want to get your opinion on it, Betty, which is we talked a lot on this show because we're supposed to be a show about the South, but we've never settled on what the South is. And we've, I think, come to an understanding that no one is really sure of the boundaries. So if if someone was to ask you, like if you're a reporter from the South and things like that, like what what is that territory? Is there any boundary? What's considered the South? The South? Um, I don't know. It it seems to have expanded, hasn't it? I mean, isn't oh, with a vengeance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think you're right. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, point. the South, uh, and I'm maybe not the best person to ask. East Tennessee, um, the the working class East Tennesseans were overwhelmingly um, loyalist during the, the Civil War. And my great granddaddy walked to Kentucky with his father and his uncles and his brothers to join the Union Army. So, uh, you know, we, we, there was a different view passed down in my family and than in other parts of the South. So I'm probably not the best person to evaluate that. If that makes sense. But I think you're right about the expansion. I think that's something that's very much worth looking into. The South lost the war, but they won the, I mean, they won. (laughs) You, You see all these, and I'm sure like me, they're descendants of, of unionists and you see them walking around with their confederate belt buckles and and, and um flags on their pickup trucks and they they just bless their hearts they just don't know any better or do and don't care i don't we talked a lot about this on here but where i'm from too i'm from destin and leonard destin was um you know, harassed and imprisoned by the Confederacy throughout the Civil War and scheduled to be executed because he was a Yankee. And then yet people uh, fly Confederate flags and talk about our heritage in Destin. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pitiful. All right. Well, it's pitiful. That seems like a as good a note as any to end on. <laughs> it's pitiful. It's pitiful. So I agree. I concur. Well, thanks for coming on, Betty. Yeah, thank it's you fun. very much. Yeah, good talking to you all. And, and uh, let's hope the post office gets straightened out this week. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I'm... I mean, not to open up a whole new can of worms as we're saying goodbye, but I think that maybe they didn't anticipate how much people cared about the post office. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Coming up. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.